Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Schmidt. We're here with Craig and Claudia Broadley, Broadley Vineyards in Monroe. It's February 8th, 2023. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, let's start at the beginning here. We're going to change it up a little bit. So, Craig, let's start with you. Tell us about uh, early life, uh, born and raised, and uh, kind of life uh, for you in the, in the early days. Uh, okay, we're both from Sacramento. I went to McClatchy High School. She went to? Oh, Luther Burbank. Yes. And uh, so we dated all through high school. Um, eventually ended up at uh, UC Santa Cruz, and uh, I think in my senior year of college we got married, mm-hmm. lived in Santa Cruz for a little bit, um, and then, uh, you know, this would be like 1968, so it was, uh, you know, it was during the demonstrations and the draft and everything, so it was kind of crazy times. But um, I, was, I went to law school at Hastings in San Francisco. Uh, but that only lasted a few months. I was uh, um, sent to the induction center, which I, with, after a long struggle, found a way to, to not go to Vietnam. But it took quite a bit of time and effort for both of us. And um, so we uh, eventually lived in Laguna Beach. Maybe you want to talk about Laguna Beach. You, no? Laguna Beach. Well, uh, we both had jobs at Laguna, Laguna Beach. He worked for the family business. My parents, yeah, my parents just started a new business. Right. So they asked me to be part of that business, so I dropped out of law school. And, and we both moved down. Yeah, so yeah. we both lived in Laguna Beach for, I don't know, just a year and a half or something and helped them start a, what turned out to be a very successful business. Yes. And... Um, and then uh, when, uh, at some point there, we didn't like living in Laguna Beach and we dropped out, came uh, back to uh, Sacramento for a short period, and that's where Morgan was born, 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we uh, basically, from there, uh, probably yeah, from politics more than anything, we decided to move to Berkeley, which was where things were happening. And uh, so we moved to Berkeley. We lived on Melvia Street. Melvia Street, actually, where that really leads to, which was Chez Panisse, the restaurant opened up just around the block. Oh, yeah, and there was a charcuterie. Yeah, so there was all these things. The cheese board. Yeah, and so we went and we belonged to a food conspiracy. And so I remember going to Chez Panisse, walking by it. We didn't have any money, we were really poor. Basically, dinner was like four dollars. You would who would spend four dollars on dinner? You know, yeah. that's amazing. You know, and um, so, but but there was really a great food scene developing, and so we were kind of getting into, and, and being in the food conspiracy, you were doing things for other people. So uh, you know, one weekend you would get to try all these different cheeses or all this or fish or whatever. You know, it was like an and vegetables. It was <laughs> different than Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so I think at some point there, um, we were li- in living in Berkeley and kind of waiting maybe for the revolution, I guess, but it wasn't happening. Um, 
what happened was we took the Chronicle. One day there was an article in the Chronicle, and it was something to this effect, which was in their magazine section, which was um, buy five acres in Napa, have a vineyard and a little winery, and live happily ever after. And we thought, that sounds pretty cool. Not that we had any money. Yeah, but the price was what? Like $25,000. Yeah, it's real, it's real cheap. It's like, you know? whoa, we so can we do that. Jumped, we jumped in our Volkswagen <laughs> well, bug and drove up to Napa and went, hey, this we, we like, we think we could be part of this. Yeah. And uh, so over the next week, so every weekend we would go to Napa and try wines. And I would say within six months, we probably tried every wine that was made in Napa at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, there was wineries that, you know, like Cuva Sunday would literally give you free wine. You know, it's like you just walk in and hey, you know, you want some wine? You know, kind of stuff like that. And um, so after about six months of this, um, we went to a party in San Francisco and um, a, a relatives that worked at City Lights. And uh, they were all sitting around the kitchen. Um, uh, looking at a calculator. And uh, these were all kind of probably uh, men in what, their 40s, 50s? You're talking about <coughs> Lawrence and Chick? Yeah, everybody. Oh. Yeah, they're yeah. all about in their 50s, you know. Yeah, they're looking at this calculator and nobody knew how to work it. Uh, and so Claudia went in there and went, this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, yeah, that's they were true. very impressed. Yeah, <clears throat> this was City Lights bookstore in San Francisco. At this point, didn't even have a cash register, let alone a calculator. And so, with that, they offered Claudia a job. In the oh, because I house. could work the calculator. Because I, she could work <laughs> yeah. the calculator. So, um, and we were still living in Berkeley, but we kind of uh, Claudia didn't really wasn't sure how much she wanted this job, but I needed a job, and so we uh, split a job. We both worked, that'd be city lights for you. You know, you, I, you have to bring your own uh, typewriter. There's no heat in the building, but right. you'd come there and that was work. The, <clears throat> that was the publishing house. Yeah, the publishing house. So yeah. you'd come there and you'd work a couple of days and Claudia worked a couple of days and nobody seemed to care. And so that didn't go on too long though before Claudia kind of went, you know what, this is... this is Not for me. Not for me. It's very <laughs> no. weird. It's very, it's very difficult place yeah. to work and mm, uh, so I started working there but we still were interested in wine so we would still every weekend we'd go out there was a two wineries or there was the wine shops in San Francisco which wine was still at that point not that popular so I think even really nice wines were relatively cheap you know I saw a wine the other day that we bought for maybe five bucks and now was 380 bucks a bottle, you know, just like crazy stuff. So we, we were able to really get into it and uh, working at City Lights, but by the end of the year, City Lights was not an easy place to work. Um, and by the end of the year, uh, I thought, you know, let's get serious. I'll go back to UC Davis and, and uh, take a, you know, analogy and viticulture. So we just took a year off from work. City Lights would be that kind of place, though. You would just show up for a year. <laughs> They'd be cool with that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, which is kind of weird in retrospect. And so we moved to Sacramento, went to Davis for a year, and uh, tried to do stuff and went to, uh, this would have been like 73, 1973, um, and started looking at land in Santa Cruz Mountains mainly, and then in Mendocino. Um, but 
one day, and this kind of went on, we weren't really finding anything, partly because we didn't have any money. We were just trying to buy land with just a, uh, you know, We looked exciting, at Amador, exciting. Amador County, too. And Amador, we yeah. came very close to finding a land, land yeah. in Amador. And we went to Stony Hill Winery in Napa, very famous winery this time, one of the pioneers of uh, Chardonnay in Napa Valley. So we, uh, it was the kind of winery that where you, you got a notice that they had wine for sale, and if you didn't order that day, the wine was all gone the next day. And so we ordered, we had ordered wine a couple of times, and then we ordered some wine, and we decided they would bring it to your house in, in San Francisco. They'd truck, bring in an old truck and drop it off at your house, yeah. and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we uh, went to the winery, picked it up, and we met Fred McRae, who was yeah, the Fred owner McCray. and founder of the winery. Right. And, uh, he and was he was old. old. He, he was, was old. He was in his 80s. 80s, I and think. And had a great little stone winery. And he went in there and it was just simple, just just barrels of Chardonnay, old barrels. And the wines were great. And uh, we were very impressed. And uh, as we were leaving, we went, hey, you know, um, uh, what about Pinot Noir? Have you thought about that? And he went, you know, I've made some, but it didn't turn out very well in Napa. And uh, I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, he's looking at us. And we had a truck. And uh, old, old clothes on, and he went, you know. And he went, well, if I were you, I would look to the frontiers. Yeah, head north. And head maybe yeah. to Mendocino or Oregon. Yeah. So we yes. kind of went, huh, you know. So we were first looked at around in Mendocino and came close sometimes to buying property, but nothing worked. And then, you know, things kind of slipped away. And uh, there's a number of opportunities there. Because the industry is small. I mean, if you just said, hey, I just went to Davis for years, like the doors open up for mm -hmm. you, all you got to do is say, I probably could still be in Napa if I'd been a little bit more aggressive and smarter, you know? So. Um, yeah, but we looked at this one area. Where was that? And it was like out in the boonies. In Mendocino? Mendocino. Up on the ridge line, the green, Greenwood Ridge line there. That. Mm, it was even before that. Well, there's a land log. But anyway. It was like logging. Yeah. A logging log, area. Log, yeah. It was yeah. Log, yeah. People Thank were selling, God we didn't selling end up land there. that they had logged. And, and oh, uh, yeah. we, I, there's no doubt at that point, we, even though I, as a kid, worked on a farm, my, my grandparents had a farm, I wasn't really in either one of us in that mode. We were more like looking at pretty property. You know what I mean? Like, wow, look at those trees and look at. It's got a creek running through it kind of stuff, and there's no room for a vineyard. So like we had looked at land, say, in Santa Cruz Mountains, and it was nice, and the guy was selling it because the end of the world was coming soon. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. uh, but the soil was about that deep on rock, you know? And, uh, you know, just but a lot of nice trees on a hilltop, you know? So, uh, so anyway, we kept looking at land, and then I was still working at City Lights. And then I read an article about Oregon. We had bought some wines from Oregon in Sacramento. Daryl Cordy in Sacramento was the first person to import Oregon wines into California. Um, and so we bought wines there and tried them. And we were kind of like, we were into Burgundies. Mm -hmm. And we went kind of went, these are kind of nice, but a little on the simple side. You know, they're real clean. They had really good fruit. We were impressed compared to, say, California Pinot Noirs. So um, we did that, and we bought. We just bought more Oregon wines around the city and stuff. And then I saw this article about uh, Oregon wines and David Lett. And David Lett um, uh, talked about him, and he was a book salesman. And I went, 
well, hey, I'm in the book business. <laughs> we got <laughs> right. something to come in here, you know, well, see how it works. So we thought about that. We went, well, let's do it. Let's do a trip. This is probably now we're all the way to 85 or 75. Yeah. And so, the first one we visited was um, Hillcrest. Hillcrest. Yeah. Yeah. Which was so we quite went out. We made we made appointments to see the basic places, and uh, there were some other people that were kind of doing the same trip, or maybe on motorcycles, and they were from Sonoma, and they they were kind of laughing their way through the whole trip because pretty funky in those days, everything you know. It's, uh, nobody's there. I mean, it's just like you know. I mean, Hillcrest is out by itself with yeah. some guy joining everything. So it was, but anyway, we. So we went to like Charles Corey and Hillcrest, and we got to David Latt. And uh, I had written him ahead of time. So he was from City Lights. And I went, well, we're thinking of moving up here. We're going to thinking of starting a business, book business. How did you do it? Well, he we said he was a book. In the book business, as we knew later, or even then, because I was in the book business, is you had salesmen. And those salesmen have a season, and then they have the free time. They do everything from home, and that's what that's what gave them the opportunity to start a, a vineyard and a winery is that free time, and the fact that his building only cost two thousand dollars, you know, kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, we heard that story, and uh, we kind of liked the possibilities of what that could do for us. Um, so uh, we went back. And then we decided, okay, we're going to start this business and be agents for publishers. Again, where you're away from where the publishers actually are. It could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. We'd be agents. we do things for them, anything they want us to do. That's what agents do. And uh, we would move that. We would be agents in Oregon for winery or vineyards or vineyards, publishers, anywhere we could hook on to literary presses. Uh, so uh, we... I went back up to uh, Portland a few times looking for a, a, a spa, you know, a space, some place. But I didn't really know Portland. And Portland, frankly, at that point in time to me, as I always said, it looked like Sacramento with a mountain in the background. Yeah, it did. It's like, do we really want to live I here? I didn't really I don't like think that. So. I didn't, well, I'm from Sacramento, but I didn't like Sacramento, and I truly uh, really didn't like Portland. And, um, and, uh, you know, we went to some, one time we, Claudia and I went up there some restaurant and got a little harassed in the restaurant by the locals. And so we were kind of like down on, so then I started looking at, went made a couple of trips to McMinnville, looking around there and uh, contacted David and David said, well, I'm kind of busy right now, but do you pick grapes? I went, no, I'm looking for a place to, so we didn't kind of, really connect well. He was he's pretty focused. Mm-hmm. Now David, I want to point out later that when he came first to Oregon too, he ended up in the same place we did. Yeah. Right here. This is where he started mm-hmm. in Monroe. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, we went back, we decided we would uh, we talked to friends and people at City Lights and stuff and Lawrence Verlinghetti was always going, what about Sonoma, Craig? Sonoma's where you should be. And I went, Sonoma? They don't make good Pinot in Sonoma. Right. You know, but who's to know? And uh, so maybe he knew something here. Uh, he, came, he came to uh, San Francisco, he said, for the red wine. So, hello. 
anyway. Lawrence, wait a minute. Lawrence came to San Francisco for the red wine. Yes, yes. yes. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's a statement. Anyway, uh, so, uh, anyway, so yeah. we started this business. Uh, it's called Subterranean. And Subterranean was an agent for literary, small literary presses, like City Lights. And so it started, uh, City, City Lights very easily turned over all this to us. Oh, they just went, Lawrence did. Oh no, what they did, you had a, a warehouse, all these books. We got a U-Haul, a U-Haul. Lawrence came and we all put the books in the U-Haul and we drove away with all his books. And he just waved the truck. It is like, I cannot. Oh, who would do that? I mean, I didn't think of it at the time, but after we got here after a while, I thought, who would do that? Who would a, just he, give all the books and go, goodbye? And, and he had a real, I mean, City Lights was a real yeah, business. That's right. So anyway, so we had that in uh, Trail Hill for six months or so. We couldn't really find a place in, in uh, Oregon. And then uh, through connections, of people at uh, City Lights and people in Eugene, uh, we went up there and made a connection and found a place in Eugene for a little bit, but we weren't really, we were just in Eugene, we were kind of like still looking for mm -hmm. whatever. And um, so that started out and we were having trouble, well, having trouble getting a, making enough money, frankly, to buy land. He does take, and why, you know, face it, I mean, it's uh, in the long run, there's a huge amount of money. It's been endless mm -hmm. amounts of money. So, and we still did, is, really. We didn't really have, <laughs> we, we didn't have yeah. really much at all. Uh, so, uh, uh, we were in Eugene and going along until 1980. We moved up there in 78, I guess, 78. Right. We were in Eugene. And when we did, there was a lot of rain, more rain than we're getting now. I mean, just buckets of rain, and we're like, Wow, did we make a mistake coming oh, yeah. here? I mean, it just rained rain. every day. The first two years, all we did was a hunt for mushrooms. Oh, when, yes, that's if right. If you're in the mushroom business, you can't be in the wine business. You yeah, know? true. So, um, so anyway, in 1980, we, you know, we saw a lot of land and everything. Uh, but I had, had, I had definite ideas about land. Uh, I done a lot of time doing research on Burgundy. I did, I, that's all I came here to do, was to make Burgundy. I didn't come here to make what I saw is Oregon Pinot Noir, I wanted to make Burgundy. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the idea in Burgundy, if you, when you go to Burgundy and you look at all the terrains, the best terrains are never facing south, ever. They're always facing east, even maybe a little northeast, um, but, uh, or east, but you know, some southeast, but never south. Whereas people, when you went to see them here, were always going, hey, you gotta put, it's so cold and wet and everything, you wanna be on South Slope. So the idea was from Napa, actually, is that in Napa, Napa is the warm area, and in the warm area, you find the cool spot. Mm -hmm. So I kind of thought that was important. So what we did was look for the, what well, we, perceived to be, who knows if it's true or not, but perceived to be the warmest area in the Willamette Valley and to look for the cool spot in that area. So um, in 1980, we found this land right outside of Monroe here and um, it seemed to fit the bill. It was kind of like on a, uh, facing pretty east with a, maybe a little slight, slight dip to the north. So we kind of thought that's what we want. Something 
that would uh, retain acidity. Because I believe that what I saw at the time was a lot of Oregon wines lacked acidity for me. I was trying to make bigger wine, big, big wine with acid and um, not just a normal size wine. So um, we found this land, we bought it, and, and then... Uh, and then the fun began. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so it was kind of that thing where we bought the land, I always remember, right after we bought them, still, the people that sold it were like mountain, mountain men or something, you know, I mean, real kind of in the woods people. There was a horse, there was an old horse on the property. We went, what's for the horse? They left it. It's oh, like, yeah. I mean, a, a, an unloved horse. And it's like, it so I'd call them and go, would you just please take the horse? And, and what about all the rusty cars you left up that we never saw in the woods? Mm -hmm. And they, well, they took the horse, but not the cars. And uh, so we had to get rid of, you know, it was kind of like mm -hmm. very typical what you see out here in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so Claudia and I, and eventually Morgan, we'd go up there every weekend and every we would weekend. build fences and we did everything. Put in our well. And yeah, we put, uh, that was logged just my We didn't did. log the trees, we had trees logged. Yeah, we log, yeah. logged it, cleared it, picked all the sticks up, did everything. Oh, this, this was originally, it was 20 acres. Yeah. And uh, you know, you just don't, you just don't comprehend how, you know, it's just so difficult and you never thought of picking sticks up for two months or something, all that kind of stuff. And um, so, uh, and we built fences, put in the well, and in 82, we planted Chardonnay. Someone, you know, it's one of those, I guess, fundamental mistakes I always talk about, which is in the wine business, it's very old fashioned and slow, but when you make decisions, they can haunt you forever, mm -hmm. you know? That's just, that's just a fact. You plant the wrong variety, you do this, you do that, you go, now I gotta sell it. And so we planted Chardonnay 108 clone and in 82, and then in 83, uh, after we saw how difficult it was to plant even five acres, we, uh, we were lucky enough, uh, our mailman worked for the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church knew the prisoners at the Salem Pen, and they were out. They would bring them out. They needed day work, so uh, we and they hired the we plant the vineyard. Yeah, we hired the, prison, the prisoners, <laughs> and uh, so what would happen every day? A bunch of burglars or ex-burglars would show up, and they their manager. He was in prison for murder, but he was very nice, <laughs> and uh, but he looked he like was. he looked like he was in movies. He'd go, "Yes, there's the murder right there." He, and uh, so they would, the beauty oh, really? of the burglars, I think, is they were all kind of young 20-year-old men, and that would... Um, well, he, he kept them in line, yeah, he the would, young he, ones. He'd make sure they eat their lunch and do all the stuff, and but they work. would, they would yeah. be the kind of guys at the end of the day, they'd, and they were in jail, you know, in prison, and they'd go, I'd rather be in prison than work here, you know? And yeah. so we were constantly losing guys every day and we get new guys. And then Claudio kept going, I don't know about, what was his name? I don't want, uh, don't use his name. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm not guy, too sure about the, him. The, the, the guy that's in the murder, <laughs> yeah. uh, Claudio kept going, I don't know about him, you know? Yeah. And I went, he seems okay, you know? And then I'd have to drive some of them back to Eugene every other evening, I'd drive them into Eugene. They have to be in a facility at six o'clock. 
And so I was driving them one day, and he was in the truck with me, and uh, he, you know. I, and the truck wasn't very big, so no. he was kind of close to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I started asking what the deal was, and he said, "Well, you know, he told me he had killed somebody earlier in his life, but you know, he's reformed now. He's a good person." And then he said, well, but I am having a little trouble right now. And he said, uh, my parole officer, uh, well, he, I went in and saw him the other day, and I told him I wanted to be out after 6 because I wanted to go to this party. And the parole officer said, no, you're, you've got to be here at 6, 6 o'clock, and we send you back to Salem. And, he, and he's telling me the story. And he's going, and I told him, no, I want to go to the party real badly. And he told me no. And I said, yes. And he said, no. And you just see the anger building. The guy right next to me was getting out of control. I mean, literally right there in the car, he was losing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, oh, OK, how did it turn out? <laughs> like that kind of deal. So anyway, we had to let him go the next day. He was not, he was not after, but you could see that was the problem. He was just fine, he was very intelligent. Mm -hmm. Everything about him was good. He, he just, just had a bad temper. He just had an uncontrollable <laughs> temper it. that was obviously yeah. his whole life got him in huge trouble. It was right. really sad. And, he, and actually, he became well known in Eugene. I'm mean, doing mm -hmm. what? Because when he was calm, he could get things done. But boy, you know, it was like, I don't know what happened to the parole officer, you know, who knows. Mm. So anyway, uh, uh, plan, uh, Pino, and that's really what we came here to do, like everybody else with Pino Noir. And uh, so the, uh, we were looking around. My parents, at this point, were helping us out. And uh, so they came up here, and you know, it was kind of like, I need a building. And the, the feeling was, I think my parents thought the whole thing, they thought Oregon was just full of weeds, and the wine business was crazy. And why would you can go to the grocery store and buy a bottle of wine? Why would you want to <laughs> yeah, invest true. money and make more of it? <laughs> and uh, so, they, but they were willing to help a little bit. I think they felt they owed me from the time I helped them start their business. Mm -hmm. So, they we tooled around Eugene and here, and uh, we saw this building for sale. And um, uh, so my father went, you know, I'll buy it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it was an old Pontiac dealership. This was a Pontiac, yeah. yeah. The, but the right at the time we bought yeah. it, it was a hot tub cover business. And florist. And, huh? And florist and antique. Well, not then it wasn't, just hot oh. tub covers. It was before that. Mm. It, the florist was still there, but van, well, I mean, who's, who's coming to Monroe to buy anything? <laughs> there was a florist in there and uh, antiques, but at the time that was a band of hot tub covers. And I, I remember yeah. thinking, go, how many hot tub covers do you need to sell every day to make a living? And yeah. so very shortly after that, he went out of business, and we did buy the building because of that, and bought it at a cheap price. And he, six months later, he showed up and wanted to know where all his uh, box covers for his hot tubs were. It's like, I got rid of them way back when. So anyway, yeah. bought this building. It was my father then said he thought it was very funny. I bought you a ramshackle knockdown. And uh, which it was. Oh, it was. And, uh, oh, this, this building place was, was, uh, was pretty well, bad. Well, this building was like, it was like a, we got together with hammers and built a building. You know, we're not, nothing square, the front to the back to the roof, everything that's leaked. Um, so, but you know, we were younger and game and, and 
full of, you know, we're going to make the greatest wine you've ever seen, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we just started fixing this place up, came here every week. Now we yeah. had the vineyard that had a, had a business. Right. A bit, which it was growing and getting bigger all the time. So it's like everything was getting where you almost Let's did. put it this way. We worked seven days a week. Yeah, you never No time off. Yeah, yeah. So no time, and you were tired. Not that I mind. I didn't mind, you know, because it was like a challenge, but so, it could be tough. Yeah. So in 86 were the first wines. And um, uh, Pinot Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, um, uh, they were probably wines, looking back on the wines, uh, and they were kind of the direction I wanted to make. In other words, I, again, make, drinking Burgundy. Here's how I saw Burgundy being made, a little elevated, the good Burgundy is anyway, elevated alcohols, elevated acid, some tannin, new wood, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what you see. That doesn't mean that necessarily is a really good wine, as we know. Our Burgundies are kind of not great, but, but anyway, that, so that was the wine. And so with some people, love that kind of wine. And unfortunately, the reviewers didn't. So the spectator just went, what the hell is this? You know, this thing, or as they call this wine, overly decadent. Too much of a good thing, as I'd call it. And I went, what's wrong with too much? That's what I came to yeah, make, was was too much of a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, uh, so right off, you know, that didn't uh, fly. But, but uh, you know, some other reviews kind of, so, I think the, the wine, if anything, got people's attention mm -hmm. because it was different. It was not like David Lett's wine or any of Rats or anything, was a different wine. Um, and so, and then in, uh, so the 87s got uh, like one of the wines of the year for Wines and Spirit. They, they loved it. And it really sold a lot. Didn't sell any wine in Oregon, sold it all in California, the Bay Area, frankly. So Chapinese picked the wine up. Uh, so we were a hot item there and places maybe where they like Burgundies mm -hmm. and not here in Oregon. And, um, uh, you know, I never really thought about that too much. And so, um, you know, we had some distribution. So we were getting, you know, kind of get going. But the wines were probably uh, uneven, you know, frankly. and. Um, uh, we still don't have any money. We we're still like making wine. We didn't have any anything, you know, at all. It just we just had this whole crummy building that just took up all the money, say to fix it up or fix the roof or whatever <laughs> things like that. Oh, that's true. And we're using a bunch of uh, high school kids working on the vineyard. You know, it's like, uh, you know, they one of our neighbors over at Alpine Vineyards Woodhall, mm -hmm. and he said, "Well, Craig, what you're doing here in this business, you're teaching young boys how to work." And I thought, oh, that's great. Let's do that. Well, young boys, how they view you is, is they, they want see, something. They want, they want a car. They want, they want something. Yeah, they so want you're something. in the way of that goal. And that goal yeah. has nothing to do with grapes or wine or doing any of the jobs. And so no. you're always in this constant little battle of, you know, you have to show up and do the job to get paid. You can't just get paid because, because. So that way, you know, ongoing struggle there uh, for a few years. And there was really no workers out here, so it was pretty tough. And I think in those years, the you know, vineyard, all those kinds of things, you don't have the money to do it. Not appreciate numbers. I was, I was thinking at the time that just my kind of uh, thoughts on wine, in other words, I knew how to make wine, and that was enough to make really good wine. And that's not true. 
And, uh, but it took a few years to realize it took more than energy and, and uh, some uh, wisdom to make wine. Mm -hmm. It takes money. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And so uh, what happens, this happens to a lot of people. Because I remember we used to have this wine customer and friend. And he said, I always notice a lot of wineries start really well. And then they start burning out after four years. And the wines, mm -hmm. instead of getting better, they go this direction. Right. Said, Why do you think that is? And at the time, I didn't answer him. But about the fourth year, I started seeing that um, you're not making any progress. You're making wines, but the wines are just paying the basic bills. And you don't really have a real business. You have what's called a glorified hobby. Mm -hmm. And that's what we had was a all-consuming hobby. And uh, so, and our wine sales were just kind of like went up and then went kind of like didn't keep moving, you know. And so we were kind of like at that flat point. And so in 92, uh, uh, I think the fun was gone. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we kind of went... Um, what are we going to do? You know, uh, so we decided to go to Burgundy, go back to Burgundy, and and kind of go. Uh, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing right? We, you know, it's that whole thing. I always believe you walk into a winery, you just find one little thing when you're looking around, or one statement that can be huge yeah. in, in the direction of your wines. So we made some appointments. Uh, we went back to Burgundy. We asked a bunch of stupid questions. People going, "Who are these people?" You know, and I really yeah, asking exactly. questions. You know, it's like, but I, we're asking because Monroe is pretty isolated too. I want to say it's not like your neighbors across the street or have a winery, and you're down here. So we really kind of in an isolated situation. So, and I never worked at a winery. You know, I mean, just because you go to Davis, Davis is very theoretical stuff, and so. Um, you know, it's like, well, how do the hoses fit together? I don't know, you know, kind of, you know, kind of crazy stuff. But anyway, so I went to there. That was a very good trip. We had a great time. And uh, we came back. Was that and, the trip that Morgan and Jessica went? No, that's not. It's no, just okay. you and I. Yeah. yeah. First trip. That's the first trip. Yeah, yeah. so we went there, uh, <clears throat> energized us. We came back. We bought a bunch of new barrels. We talked to... Um, I can't think of his name, but anyway, somebody at a winery in California came up here. He had a few thoughts for us. I thought, no, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. So we kind of changed what we were doing in the wine. And uh, uh, so the 92s, um, they were good. And we uh, were a best-selling wine at like K&L in San Francisco. And then wines were flying. And so we... We were now a real business again, kind of not a real business, but kind of a real business. You know what I mean? You're kind of like your one foot's in the door or something like that. And so uh, that was great. And I think we felt like, okay, we've got an idea here. And the very next year, though, was a year that uh, um, it rained a lot right during the year. Both of us had health issues. and. Uh, uh, there was nobody to really run the Morgan had moved us to work with my parents. And what happened was we got powdery mildew. We almost lost Oh, everything. and the grapes, they just didn't look beautiful uh, either. Uh, they, 
They yeah. looked horrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when I say, <coughs> what I mean, the bunches, the way they came out of the vine. Yeah. I've never seen it like that before. I mean, ever after that. Well, it was the, or maybe yeah. it was just the when oh. black, they looked bad. You know? But it was like real heavy. Yeah. Well, we didn't, we didn't drop fruit. We didn't do, we didn't do anything because yeah. we were both ill. <coughs> and right. so, uh, but when 94 came along, um, 94 vintage, we really had very, we are back to the, what we thought we had done in uh, 92, and we were ready to make this wine. We had new barrels, we had everything in place, we had better help, and um, we had a, um, you know, some other people just kind of like talking to people, and so we decided to make something a little different than you were seeing on the market. It's gonna be big, acidic, is going to be decadent. And uh, so, uh, which I think we succeeded. We didn't make a lot of wine that year, but we succeeded in making the wine we were trying to make. Mm -hmm. And um, there's two wines, those days were reserved, and we came out with a new wine. Someone keep coming in and going, you know, you have, you've always had good barrels, but you're always just blending them out. You've got to separate those barrels. And we were like, oh, okay. So we thought, well, let's name it after our dog, Clive. Clive's Choice. Because he used to be a, review, a reviewer in those days, was Clive. Yeah, Clive well, Coates. Clive Coates. Clive Coates. So we were Clive, our dog choice. was a, a white English Bull Terrier. Yeah. He was so sweet. Right when we got ready yeah. to, to make that move, the dog died. He died. And so we thought, do not name a good thing, wine after good a dead thing dog. We didn't yeah. name it that. Yeah. So, in the wine that. Yeah, so with, uh, that, so with that, we drifted towards, and we called it Claudius Choice. And um, at that point in time, really because of where we're located, we're not getting any reviews or, uh, I mean, if we were, we, we'd get occasional like wines and spirits or something out of the Bay Area, uh, but, but uh, not in connections, but someone had a, a bottle of, um, at the spectator model of the reserve, which was um, was a more rustic version of Claudius Choice, you know, again big and everything like that, but not as much wood, not just as nicely put together. And um, so uh, they asked for a sample of that, which they had from that first one in '86. Which they said, "What is it? What are you doing?" They hadn't really, you know, I've got a few decent reviews, but you know, not much. And so uh, we sent him that and went, well, let's send him this other wine too, you know, Claudia's Choice. And so I, I think looking back at it, what happened here was Harvey Steinem, who was the reviewer in those days of Pinot Noir, he was on vacation and a new guy was taking his place and so we sent the wines to him and he had the reserve and then he had the Claudia's Choice and he just, he just called me right up and he just went, I want to have lunch with you. I want to buy a case. Uh, how'd, you, how'd you make this wine? And so uh, that wine uh, kind of opened the door. Yeah, it really made us business. For the next decade, we sold all the wine. All the all the wine would be sold pre-release before it was even ready to be released. It's like it's gone. And um, so it, it would. Sometimes in that period of time, uh, the, the wine was still controversial. I would say, even when we went to the Pinot celebration, we poured that wine, 
you know, uh, I can remember, you know, reviewers uh, from the Gourmet magazine coming up and going, what in the hell are you doing? This wine's terrible. And some people love it. And I went, well, I make it. I love it, and that's what counts. I don't care what you love. You've never reviewed my wines anyway, you know? And, you know, just being blunt, you know? I mean, that's the reality is, so as long as we were feeling comfortable with what we made ourselves, that was fine. Because uh, I, like I said, we didn't come here to make a certain kind of wine. We came to make another kind of wine because we thought those had possibilities. And so I think the following years going along, uh, those wines were always pretty controversial, okay? Uh, uh, tannins. See, I didn't mind tannins as long as they went away at some point. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like I have a friend and uh, going to Italy here real soon, and he loves Nebbiolo, and uh, he's always like, here, Craig, try these. And we go, oh, but that wine's 15 years old, and it's tannic, it's old. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I don't like that. I like to be able to see, yeah. the, see the tannins and go, hey, I think in five years from now, this wine's going to be great. I don't mind that. But a lot of people in the industry, they don't like that. They want the wine to be very obvious right from the get-go. And, um, you know, I think that these wines were always made to be there at seven years. Well, you can't tell the public. You tell that to the reviewers of the public, and they're going to go, well, I'll buy this wine for here, you know. They don't, they don't go for it. Yeah. Um, so um, we bought more property, planted more Pinot, so we now we have about 40 acres. And, um, in, uh, the, uh, and then we went, let's see, I guess in about 2004 or five, Morgan had been working all, all the, these years now. Oh, well, Morgan started when he, I yeah. gotta say, when he was 11, he worked on the vineyard yeah, because- he thought it was, he thought well, it was- Oh, he wasn't happy about it, but I wasn't gonna <laughs> leave him at home. I'm like, you're coming up here and working with us. It's outside, it's beautiful, yeah. you know? Yeah. So he actually started when he was about 11. Yeah. And off and on. Well, then he worked for your parents, but Morgan's always been there. Yeah. So by the, these years, yeah. after 94, he was always there, mm -hmm. and he was always doing work. So in about 2004, <laughs> I went, you know, the reality is he would have been old at that point. We'll see. Um, 34? He's 34. I figured, hey, that's your prime. You know, when um, you should be making good wines, you should be making decisions and doing it. So I basically started handing over the responsibility of doing things to him. And um, uh, so, you know, that father-son thing is difficult. There, there's no is. doubt. You know? But I always remember, I'm, I can't remember all the things that we did, but he'd always go, Craig would tell me to do this, and I'm going, that, Morgan, that is crazy, <laughs> doing it that way. And he still talks that way today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, so you, when you talk to yeah, him, he's left-handed, he's right-handed, you know. God. So, so uh, and it's hard, hard working not only for your father, but with your father, you mm. know, because you're still always father. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but I thought, see, my brother, um, at their business, he was in the same situation where my parents basically ran the business like with an iron fist oh, and he yeah. was here. Now he was doing product, but they were running the business. And I think 
it was really unfair to him at some point where he knew the products better than my parents. All they knew was money. And so I, I always thought, this is the same situation. I don't want to be in that situation where all of a sudden Morgan is running the winery, but now he's 60 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's too late. You know what I mean? So, so we kind of did that right then. And in uh, 2007, we made appointments to go see certain people back in Burgundy again. Um, and I, I think that was a very important trip um, because uh, we went to visit some, you know, the wine industry is so funny, you know, reviews and how reviews work. And I, and I should say this, I think many reviewers, um, they make it life easy on them. And that's human nature, frankly. And so sometimes wineries get good reviews how close they are to the airport. Um, yeah, well, it's just fact. You know, it's just human nature. There's nothing against those people, but that's just the way it works. So we visited wineries that we had their wines, but at the same time, they got huge reviews, maybe completely, you know, out of proportion to the wines. Are you um, talking about the wines in Burgundy? Or? Yeah, Burgundy. Yeah. yeah. So we anyway we right. went around. But we were really looking for, at this point, we were just really hunting for certain yeah. things to make our wines better because... It's the, called snooping. So we're snoopers. <laughs> and you go, you always snoop in fours. In fours, you, that's true. These people are doing, distracting the winemaker and these And the other snooping, ones are <laughs> snooping. And uh, because the reality, I do believe, or you should, um, I, I like our wines. I think I, I understand our wines. And you drink your own wine, so you like your wines best. But the reality is, your wines can always be better. If you've had great, if you had really great wines, you go, "That's the what I want my wine to be like." And mm -hmm. they're not. How do we? How do we get from here to there? Yeah. And um, uh, when I was younger, I kind of went, "Well, that's going to be easy. I'm just smart." But it's it's a lot more to it than smart, you know. And so we went there with intentions and. Uh, we finally got to one winery. I won't mention the name of these wineries, but uh, we got there. We had appointments. And we had, had to buy, a, spend a lot of money on their wines. Ahead Am of time. I thinking of the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the last winery. Oh, that was great. Yeah, so it was <laughs> a great visit, visit, though. It was. So we had spent thousands of dollars for this appointment, and we got there anyway. You don't have an appointment, and so we did this contentious thing. It was a very warm day in Burgundy. Very weird. Well, it was warm, but he had a, a really heavy coat on, scarf. Yeah. And then he was dressed like winter. You know? Yeah. And uh, I was like, where uh, are we gonna? Where so, are we gonna be going? <laughs> so anyway, we went back and forth for about 20 minutes, and we were like going. And we had been invited to come with us, which was a fellow from Japan, who would oh, worked yeah. for us one year. He was very smart, knew a lot about wine. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of out there in the parking lot, kind of doing this back and forth, like, "Geez, we came all the way here really just for you, and now you're you're blowing us off," you know. And uh, so eventually he gave in. Uh, we went into the winery, and the whole, the whole visit was just a, gr a great visit. Some visits are like, you know, here's the wine, blah 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 blah. Here's the same stuff as every, you know, all that stuff. Oh no, it was this guy, though, kind of walks, really theatrical. And he walks in, yeah. and he gets a little basket. For yeah, the basket. basket. And he goes over and he gets these wine glasses, very nice wine glasses. Puts them in and the then basket. And he takes the wine glasses and he washes them in wine. And wine. 
He washes the glass. I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I have to remember that one. He yeah. washes the wine, and then we go downstairs. But before we go downstairs, he puts his boots on. Oh, yeah, he dressed like and I mean, the flood's I, coming. I don't know where, like, we're, I don't we're, know we're, where like, we're, we're going. We're sweating. We're but, sweating. But we'll go. We want to see what's down there. <laughs> we go down to the bottom, and we look, we're looking around. And now we're really looking. And these wines, um, I, would, I would say they're, in terms of just purity of fruit, they're the purest Pinot Noir in the world. Oh, no. Okay? They're very pure. But that's the good part. There's bad parts to them, too. But anyway, so we go down there, and he's kind of, let's face it, this guy is an amazing ass. But he and, told great stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jessica and I were like, oh, tell us more. Yeah, I mean, his stories so were great. Out, he's obviously got his They field. were great. About and the father there, and the mother. And he's just... He's just doing it, you know, and we're just all like, you know, and um, he's pouring barrel samples for us. We're doing a bit around, and then we're looking at the barrels, kind of doing this whole thing, and he's not really showing us much. And so he's talking about the father and the son and all this stuff about the wines, you know, oh, yeah. there's the father wine and there's the son wine. This stuff, you know, we're just lit and we're going, but it's kind of nice. Oh, it's such a he's 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 such a character, and so this goes on. And finally, at some point, I go, "Hey, I got a question." <laughs> so I I slammed the question. I can't remember what the question was now. It's not important anymore. And he stops and he looks at me, and he kind of actually even kind of gets a little like this, you know, like he bends forward to get a better look who I am. And he goes, where are you from? Yeah, where are you from? And, yeah. and I said, we're, we were very proud. We kind of, we're from Oregon. And he goes, that's too bad. Go back to Oregon. Go back to Oregon out. and figure it out yourself. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but in that, in, that little, in that little thing, we had come yes. because we really liked his barrels. And we had snooped around. Barrels didn't have anything on them. They're all kind of like just had the name of his winery on them. And but in that statement here, Morgan had gone that way, and he was snooping around and saw a little print, a side print on a barrel of a letter. And Morgan came back and said, "I know that letter. I know. I know who made his barrels for him." So we jumped in the car, called the barrel maker, went over. Had a great lunch. Oh yeah. Had a great lunch, mm -hmm. and then went to the barrel maker, and mm -hmm. there was, you know, if you've ever been to a barrel maker, they have all stacks of all this wood sitting there, mm -hmm. stacked out, you know. And we were looking at that. He came in, so he gave us the basic tour of making his barrels and and everything. And we got around after the tour like that. We got around to the front again, <clears throat> and I went. Well, okay. This, this wood was stacked on a hill in a canyon, you know, to kind of get a lot of air movement. And so I said, and, the, and he, had, he had wood from everywhere in the world. He is, earlier he had mentioned that, well, maybe some of us from China, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. there's no way. Well, who knows? I mean, I, you know, I mean, he was that kind of guy. And, and I said, well, this wood down here at the bottom, where did that wood come from? Where's that going to? You know, who's, he well. That, that wood there, that's garbage. And I, that's going to a winery in California. <laughs> and he went, oh. And then I said, well, what about that wood there? And he went, that's going to you. 
<laughs> That's the fine wood. <laughs> and then what about that wood way at the top? And they said, and that's going to the winery in question that I came about. Yeah. And they went, oh, so there wood. I said, can we get that wood? He said, never. And that's the wine business, I don't think. That is exactly, that's a friend that lived two miles away, and mm. that's who gets his best yeah. wood. So I was like, okay. So we go into his office, he go back, we go sit down, he said, would you like a glass of wine? And said, sure. And so he went to the refrigerator, in the refrigerator was a bottle of Pomar, and he takes it out, it's ice cold. I mean, ice cold, not just kind of cold, but almost freezer cold. He opens it up, he has little wine glasses that were about this high, you only see in what, Bainac? But that yeah, Bainac, exactly. Out, you know, almost like, like that. Now we're looking at it and he pours us each little thing of wine and we're sitting there drinking this ice cold red wine in this room and I look around the room and the room is all these wooden Indians. You know, full size, carved. six feet tall. Carved not even Indians. just Indians, birds, like big eagles and, and all going, carved. And I'm looking at this wine, and burgundy. which was terrible. <laughs> and I'm going, this guy's yeah. not into wine, he's into wood. The wood guy. Yeah. You know, he doesn't care about wine. Yeah. And so you're buying barrels from someone that really is just churning out barrels except for his friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, uh, that was, a, but anyway, that was helpful. And I think that to the point of making that great wine, it's pretty tough in this world to compete with certain situations that have those kinds of connections that you're never going to have. You're going to make you can make good wines and wines that last, but it's pretty difficult to make if you've ever had, you know, Latosh or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. hey, there's great wine, and how, how are you going to get from here to there? You're not, really. Uh, you can make occasionally a wine, say the 94 Claudius Christ is very good, and I would say uh, it's, it's as good as they're off years, mm -hmm. but it's not that wine. And, yeah. uh, so, but it took us, what, 30 years to figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, well. So, I, uh, so, as you'll find out today, you know, Morgan basically runs this, this, this winery. I think it's a... Morgan and Jessica. Yeah, they run it. Yeah. And... Um, Which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. So this Because is, a lot of people that are our age right now, they don't have anybody or family to run it. And that, yeah. that would be a really big problem. It's a tough business. So, and yeah. you know, you put a lot of work into it and you like to see it continue. I think we both of us never appreciated how difficult this business was. Although I do want to say one thing going yeah, back but all Craig, the way to the book business. We're still standing. <laughs> yeah. The sitting is this. In the That's beginning, all I got in to the say. beginning we were in the book business. And I went, you know, the book business and the wine business have a lot in common. And what are they? The people in both those businesses get into the business not to make money, but to be around the product. Yeah, people have right. bookstores. I've never seen anybody hey, get a bookstore. I'm going to get rich with my bookstore. They love mm. books. Yeah. People start wineries. They love wine, and they, and that doesn't lead to the best business decisions. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt. If you look back and you go, here's how much money it's going to take. This isn't even a fancy place and how much money it takes and how much energy it takes. And do you get back? My father at one point just went, you've got to be kidding. This is just doesn't make any sense at all. 
He said, I'd like to make a pro product on Friday and sell it next Friday and have my money. Oh, well, no. He, yeah. He was very much into making money. Yeah, yeah. So, and he did a pretty good job at it. Yeah, yeah. So he, they knew how to make yeah. money, mm -hmm. but he just thought this was a waste. And so it, this was more passion. Yeah, this is, well, it's again like books. Yeah. So we were in two businesses, mm -hmm. and let's just say we didn't make any money in the book business either, you know. Uh, though uh, that was pretty interesting. Got to lead, meet a lot of people, oh, do a, yeah. lot of, a lot of adventures in the book business. Is great. Yeah, well, because uh, of this business, we have met so many interesting people. Yeah, yeah, same thing. So it, it has just a lot of interesting people. Claudia would say, what would, what would Claudia say about this business? Have all the wine you want to drink. Oh yeah, well that's I said that to, to Morgan. Yeah, yeah, I, I always have wine. <laughs> it's always here. Yeah. yeah. Or you can travel. You know, when or we travel. Have, when we used to have both businesses at the same time, you could realize you could travel anywhere in the world and call it business. Mm -hmm. You could mm -hmm. do anything and go. I'm doing one. I'm doing the other. You know, or doing both at the same time. You know. Yeah. So that. Uh, um, it's worked out pretty well, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, as you guys have known, you're going around to the wineries. There's a lot of wineries that don't yet probably appreciate uh, how t tough it is because a lot of wineries are just doing it on money they made somewhere else. And um, especially, I think, the last few years have been difficult mm -hmm. this yeah. business. And, um, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but Claudia, you raised an interesting point earlier. I'm curious. You mentioned your kind of your early trips up here and meeting some inter some of the interesting characters in Oregon wine. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have any memories of stopping at Hillcrest or stopping with Charles Corey or David Lett um, of what the industry looked like at that time. What the, who, who the people were and if they, who what was going on in Oregon wine? Well, Richard Subner's his place was very very simple. Um, I mean, kind of very simple, and he was kind of, he was kind of like a very much of a character, very eccentric, and he was really into wine. And uh, Charles Corey, I don't think we met him, but we went by his facility. Yeah, we went, his his went through his house. <laughs> David Lett, yeah, we went through his house to his barn. Um, David Lett, uh, he, I think at that point, had his turkey, um, he had, had converted a turkey shed into a winery. And I remember talking to him and seeing his two sons. And he asked to see our hands. We showed him our hands. And he went, oh, you, you guys don't work with dirt. <laughs> and he was absolutely right. But I thought it was real, a very interesting point that he wanted to see our hands. Yeah. And I think also, David, looking back on it, David is that classic example of that person that came up here, I think it was your first people. Oh, yeah. That Head one. down, mm -hmm. no business plan, just like, I'm going to do this, even if yeah. it doesn't make any sense at all, and I don't know where it's going. I mean, you got a vineyard. What do you do? You know what I mean? The whole process. Yeah. And, uh, and, but the original people all like that. They're, I won't say they're that's all eccentric, why, but they're stubborn. That's why they call them pioneers. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, they're, they're everything but a couple Because they are. But, but, and, and so we, we really came at the time, say, Cameron, that kind of that next wave, mm -hmm. you know. But, but even then, you know, I can always remember having, we had meetings with the local wineries, and it's like, 
okay, you got a vineyard, you got a winery, now what? <laughs> what do we <laughs> because do? selling wine, yeah. that's the hard one. It's not growing grapes or making wine. My, the Greeks did that for thousands of years. It's getting out there and getting some stranger to buy it. Yeah. And um, uh, so the, the industry is, is, is gone from that to more business. You can see it's moving rapidly now because if you're not a business now, well, and then you all, you have people from California coming in, France, you've got all kinds and of... You can, and spend so much money. I yeah. mean, what and I'm saying is, I always, I always go, if you start a winery right today, imagine the money it would take, and I don't even know you'd still make it. Could you get distribution? Can you get people to come to your place? I mean, there's... You know, it used to be, I thought, when we, say in 94, and we were right there in those early years, there was maybe really 30 wineries that mattered in this whole, 30 in this whole state. So I can remember people, and I was talking, this guy called me up one day, he said, uh, blah, 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 from Chicago, you know, I heard about your wine, I'd love to taste your wine, I'm gonna fly out and see you. And so a couple days later, he calls and he's in Portland, and he says, I'm in Portland, where are you? And I went, well, <laughs> a couple hours south. Huh. Yeah. South, south where? I mean, never even looked at it, you know, but and so he said, I'll rent a car, I'll be down there in a few hours. So about eight o'clock that night, I said, I'm going home. And uh, he said, huh, what, what do I do now? I said, well, there's other vineyards closer to Portland, maybe stay in a hotel, go visit somebody, but you know, I'm done for, you know. And he went, huh, other vineyards? Other, like, like who? In other words, he didn't know much about the industry. Mm -hmm. Somehow he heard about us, and he was, flew all the way here, and was gonna drive down all the way here, and never got there. But the point is, now if somebody's in Chicago, and they get to Portland, they've gotta go through 500 wineries to get here. Right. And the chances of them getting through 500 wineries to get here is the exact opposite happens, which is you hear people do the exact same story, get to, get to Portland, and they're coming to Broadleaf Vintage and you go, you know, I'm in Carlton, that's good. Yeah, I don't well, need to come it is to good. Place, you know? <laughs> so there's more wineries yeah. than sophisticated customers go around, frankly. And so it's hard to get those. Well, and I think it's people. really tough if someone wants to enter the wine business now. It, it's pretty tough. It just takes too much money. and. Well, it always was tough, but it's a different kind of tough, tough I guess yeah. is the point. And, and uh, it is labor, in, well, you already know that, labor intense. And, and I think Especially if people, you do the work yourself. <laughs> more people make good wine. Yes, and peop, more people make good wine. Yeah. I mean, the reality in the beginning, I would say that of those 30 wineries, only 10 of them really made good wine. And you would go, hey, you know, that, that I always tell the story, we were in San Francisco, and this was at a time was tough. And I went, you know, what we need to do we need to go into this wine shop, I won't name it, but it's a very nice wine shop in San Francisco by where we used to live, and we need to knock somebody here off the shelf. That's what you're really doing. Somebody's got to leave for us. And, and I think that's not a very good wine. We're going to aim for these people right here. And it worked, you know. And, but you had to sell somebody that, hey, I'm making wine. Not only is it better, but can sell and make them money. So, you know, it's the whole thing. And, but now, how would you do that? You know, the wines on the shelf are pretty good. And there's, 
250 wineries have the same idea, which is uh, how do we get on the shelf? Uh, and there's you know there's not enough room. I mean the same was true in the, again in the book business where we you would have certain books you were trying to get in a bookstore and the bookstore can only handle so many books and you've got to push somebody else out. Yeah. And and that uh, and, t and now that's pretty tough. So you have to have other ways. And you know there was a period of time in what in the uh, well after the um, financial crisis in 2007 or eight or whenever it was you know right there. And uh, we were here at the winery, and um, this person made an appointment, and they, they went, we'd like to come taste wine, and then was like, you know. And that was when the, the effects of the, the big depression, we were call it, hadn't really sunk in yet, but it was there. So people were still buying wine. It was like, and so anyway, these people made an appointment, and they show up, and it was a man and a woman, and uh, some Chinese fellow. And uh, oh yeah, and I didn't even taste them on wine. I mean, it's like, Lord, didn't you just like take you take care of this, you know? And the, so they tasted wine, and the fellow, they bought maybe three cases of wine or something like that. Oh, that was pretty good. You know, I thought that was a good deal. And then they said uh, they liked the wine, and then uh, they said, uh, could you, could we buy some more? We want to take these back to China and sample them. Went, yeah, sure. So we gave them small wine, the samples. They sent them to China. They, they said, I can't remember what they, they didn't like something about the wine. I don't know, they're too big or you know, too, too dark in colors. Some basic problem, I went, well, that's, that's the way it is. You know, that's, that's, that's our wine, you know? And they went, huh. And then, so they had another person. Again, the Chinese fellow wasn't doing any talking. They came back again and they said, well, um, they're looking around. And how many acres do you have? Well, we got, you know, this many acres. Well, we want to buy everything. We want to buy all your wine. Not your winery, just all your wine. Buy it all. So uh, we were kind of going, you want to do what? Your money good? <laughs> and we didn't want to Well, we didn't think it was a great idea. Yeah, either. yeah. It's not a, you know, I mean, you're <laughs> like out of the market. All our wine. Tomorrow he changes yeah, his mind. Exactly. So we kind of like, no, that doesn't work, you know, but we will sell you wine, but we're not going to sell you everything, you know. So he. Kind of went okay. Um, I, I said, and you, and you, I don't know you at all from any, you know. You have to pay cash up front. So he goes, okay. Here's a hundred thousand bucks. Just give me some wine. On a on a personal hey. check. A little, little, not a business check. A check. personal check. A check. And I'm looking. At like that we're check. like, is this real and, or? And I'm and I'm going, okay. That's that's cool. Do you, you don't want to know the wines you bought or what do you t taste? No, that's that's okay. <laughs> Red wine. Right. <laughs> well, actually, this going, is all okay. true. So I take that check to the bank and I go, this good? You know? And they, you know, they said, well, let's, let's find out, you know, it's a good check. So I, he, I call him up and said, check's good, we got your money. I, I mean, I didn't give him anything yet, just he gave me a check. So with that, uh, he goes, now what do I do with the wine when you give it to me? And I went, I don't know, what do you do with the wine when I give it to you? <laughs> He's like, well, I don't have any place to put it or anything like that. You know, it's like, uh, huh. And he got, I said, well, what do you do for a living, you know? Can I ask who you are, you know? And he goes, well, I'm in the, the rusty metal business. I have a, a place down in Arizona, and I recycle uh, rusty cars, and I send them to China. Oh, that's great. 
make money doing that? I said, yeah, uh, it's, oh, it's I a bet killer, they, killer a lot business. Of money. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like so I metal, said, I'll tell you what, you know. we'll get you a warehouse, put the wine in there, and then we'll tell you what the wine is. He didn't taste it, nothing. And he doesn't go, I'll take this or this or this or that, it's just wine, it's red. And so put it in the warehouse, he thinks about it for, I don't know, I'm just gonna say 60 days, come back, says, I think I didn't get enough. So I go, okay, how much you want? It's like you're, you're at the gas station, you know? <laughs> Fill the tank. Fill it up. And uh, yeah, so he said, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll take uh, whatever you'll give me. You know, and I'm going, well, you know. So we, another 100,000 bucks worth of wine, you know? And uh, so I'm going, huh. And so we put that in the warehouse. Check's good. Because I was like paranoid. Because my brother just got totally taken in this deal. And um, so he does this about uh, four orders or something, you know? It's just like amazing, you know? It's like- And, and it's, it's during, really amazing. It was during the recession. Yeah, so yeah. it was like So you're not also selling anything. You got like one guy selling it all. <laughs> and I was like, and it has, it's still in a warehouse. It was in a warehouse. He hadn't moved any of it, you know? And uh, so it's like, huh. So finally he comes to me and he sends some to China, which I guess was a big problem getting it through all the customs, all the problems, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I don't want to hear about that. I'm happy with the money. And um, so he goes, huh, well, you know, eh, well, you know, we don't like your corks and we don't like this and we're gonna, so we're taking all the corks out and put new corks. So he kind of intimated he had a bottling line there. Though. So he was doing, he was taking your wine, taking it to China. And they the didn't. Labels. They yeah. didn't like the label either. They didn't like the label. No, they wanted a little more red. They wanted a, a, <laughs> yeah. basically a Chinese label. Yeah. And I went, look, <clears throat> you can have a Chinese label with one. You can. You obviously are doing anything you want when you take this wine back to China. Had, now, now at this point, it's just in a few months. He opened like a string of wine shops, and I want to tell you, like boutique wine shops, fancy, beautiful. Like you can see here, I mean, marble. Like, yeah. Wood. I mean. Best Beautiful wines in the world. Ones. I don't know why Broadway got involved. <laughs> you know, you don't ask I don't, questions. I yeah. No. <laughs> so, so he's going, we want this label. We don't like your label anymore. I'm just going, God, you've already bought thousands of cases. You know, come on, get real. And uh, so we did this little thing. He goes, okay, I want you to come to China and do a tour oh, of all the right. wine shops. And, and I want, we want our own label. Anyway, if you want your own label, before I put labels on the bottle, you have to pay me up front, everything. Everything's gotta be paid for, done. I'm not putting your label on my wine and then you change your mind. Be like, you know, good. So he's like, no, I don't wanna do that. So we get this little squabble here over that and then I want you to come to China and do this tour. So Claudia and I- I think it was like a 20 day tour. Yeah. Yeah, 20 day yeah. tour of all these little wine shops. So we, we, had gone, we were in Peru at the time and doing vacation. And uh, I was going, oh, this is great. I'm really enjoying the vacation. Do you go to China, do a 20 day tour? And I said, well, I'm only going to do a 20 day tour of China, these wine shops, if he agrees to the terms of the, the wine. Why, why am I going to sell a wine? We haven't agreed to what the wine is. And so, uh, with that, he went, well, if you're going to be like that, I'm not your friend anymore. <laughs> and it was over. It was just like that. 
And so uh, it was very weird. And so he took all the wine back to China. And then we occasionally hear like, okay, we're, we're pouring the wine in Singapore. We're pouring the wine in Hong Kong. You know, it's like, that's great. That's nice. Do you want any more wine? Nope, not from you, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. You don't want to give us our Chinese label? It was very strange. The whole thing was strange. And um, so uh, this same fellow has an office in Corvallis. And I don't know, it's very weird. But his businesses, I, you know, sometimes you think things like there are fronts for something else. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know what that really means. But let's just say when you are that sloppy with that much money, uh, you're trying to move, it's almost like you're trying to move money. And, and uh, mm. we were just like, okay, whatever your deal is, don't tell me, but your money's good, you know? And uh, so that kind of uh, made it easier to get through the hard times of those years, you know? So, That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you talked earlier about the, the transition and Morgan and Jessica taking over. So I'm curious about um, sort of how that transition, what you mentioned, obviously is a challenge. That's a challenging situation. Um, what, how did the transition go, and, and what has changed about the way Broadly is now versus when, versus sort of before the transition? Well, there's no doubt when we, so we started backing out of this in like 2005 or so, oh, slowly. And so when, when I did subterranean, okay, basically being an agent, you're managing someone else's money and their, their business for them and they're publishing books and you're kind of doing, you know, Claudia would manage people's vacation or whatever. Oh, yeah. An agent does whatever mm -hmm. needs to be done, okay? So we were very comfortable um, and, and probably even get that from my parents of they, they were in a business, the same thing, where basically in the end they were just managing money and not product. For my brother is really more in some ways like me, which is he loves products. And so um, when, I, when we kind of backed out, I mean, I enjoy making wine, everybody think it was good to have a new uh, face on the business, mm -hmm. so to say, that, and someone that's actually making decisions. So, so as a whole, I think we try to allow Morgan to make decisions, even though they're not decisions that we would agree with, without making a struggle over it. You know what I mean? He's gonna, he's gonna do, make his own decisions about what he's, how he's making wine, and um, uh, not necessarily come to us and go, should I, what should I do now? I don't, that, it's not necessarily what you want in a father-son thing. So I try to be a little passive now. When it comes to money, I'm a little more aggressive with that management of the business. Say, I mean, I'm that person that I can look at financial statements and go, what's, what's that right there? Real quick, so I, can see, I can see it all real fast, and I know money. So, um, but at the same time, I would prefer, or I want, uh, uh, Morgan and Jessica to be good at everything. Uh, well, this, they pretty much are, really. Yeah, this last and year, I had a bad episode health issue, you know? Yeah, you did. And. Um, yeah, I got a bad case of COVID, and then it went to other stuff, and it, you know, I mean, the, the, well, you're not here forever. Well, that's kind of like a wake-up call, yeah, really. Yeah, you're not here forever. No. And so, uh, but I want business, <laughs> everything to go smoothly. I want people to understand how to run their business. Run their business, make wine, go forward. Now, where it goes from Morgan and Jessica, 
you know, you, you can't. No, but, but they've done, actually, they a very, very good job. And we have social media now. We didn't have that. And Jessica and Morgan are really good at that. To me, they're very good at being social with people. Better than, um, better than I yeah. have ever been. Yeah. And you really need that. So um, I think they're going to do just fine. Yeah. yeah, like I said. And of course, we have two granddaughters. Um, one is 22, and the other one is 19. 19, going to be 20. So who knows where that will well, lead. But we don't push them. But what I say to Craig is, we enjoyed this during our period of time. You got to let it go. Let it, Morgan and Jessica take it on. Yeah. And then whatever happens after that, if the, if the grandkids aren't, well, that's just the way it is. But we enjoyed what we have done. I don't, I don't think we ever thought about, you no. know, it's that old thing in your life. You think, first of all, you can live forever. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then one day you find you're not. Mm. And then, well, that's true. And then mm. oh. uh, you think about this business where heads down so long, I think you, you don't really, or at least we haven't. Now, now maybe as we get older or they get older and they, you see that how that all works or could work, but maybe it won't. You know, maybe that'll be the end of they'll sell the business. Yeah. Or it'll just... be interesting to see where it does go. I mean, yeah. I hope I'm alive long enough to see where it kind of goes. Her family all lived to be a hundred. Well, yeah, so my so mother, yeah. she lived to be a hundred, but yeah. almost hundred one. But um, the thing is, I'm just really grateful that we have Maria and Jessica to carry on. Yeah. This point until who knows when. And, and I think both of them are. <clears throat> It's like everything. They're much better at certain things than us, and mm -hmm. maybe, like I said, money, I'm better at money than they are. But I've had the opportunity to do that. Say, when, when I was a kid, my, my parents, being they were always into money, uh, we had a money room in our house. And, uh, uh, <laughs> you, might, yeah. you might have to explain that. Well, yeah. Should we? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say they, they used to, um, <laughs> They used to oh, uh, have the right to the uh, news, newspaper sales in Sacramento, okay? All those racks and carriers and stuff. And in those days, that was a cash business. So every day, my father, eventually I helped him at some point in time, would come home with sacks of Sacks money. of money. Sacks of money. We supplied banks with like money. sacks. And um, <laughs> yeah, so there would be rows of sacks in a room. And, uh, you know, it, you could have a job basically putting that in those little rolls, you know, you put all the coins and stuff like that. You mean that was your job? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah do all day long. <laughs> you know, we pay five bucks. And uh, so, uh, yeah, but a lot of money. And um, uh, so I got used to, he'd always be spending all the time on his calculator. Cause oh, he was God, always, always. I don't know. We, we don't want really to know where the whole situation, but always kind of calculating the cash, you know, and uh, so I got that at an early age, so as we were talking about even up, they were laughing because they have a new calculator. A new calculator. And how I used to sit there all day long at the calculator. Well, the calculator they got rid of, he used, or we used, when we had subterranean. Well, that calculator was probably about... 50 years old, yeah. Yeah, 50, 40, 40 years 45 old. 45 years old. And the. I loved it. Yeah, so. yeah you did love it. And Only the. A couple, uh, two keys work, the keypad, like really bad. Yeah, dirty. Like the key, the keys were horrible. Morgan showed that to me the other day. I said, get rid of that. <laughs> Just throw it away. Yeah. Get a new one. Time to so, get a new one. 
But anyway, so they're very good at what they do. And, and I would say that uh, wine, wines are evolving in, in, in a since you want that. You know what I mean? You, they don't, just because I had some idea in 1975 doesn't mean you have to stay there. No, There's an evolution in the state to wine. And, and you need to keep up with that evolution and constantly try other people's wine and go, huh, look at this. This is pretty interesting what they did. Say, so I think you want to be constantly doing that. And, I, and, and if anything, I might even showing Morgan, hey, try a bottle of this. See what they did here, you know? And I think it's important. And so he does that. And so I think the wines are more and more his wines. Thing. Oh, yeah. Not, not 19, you know, <clears throat> well, 95 wines. The wines and the winery. It has just evolved, yeah, and it know, keeps all the, evolving. All the fermenters yeah. and everything we used to have, these are his fermenters. They, I used to have bigger wooden fermenters than that. And uh, he was like, hey, those are too big. You know? So there's an evolution to the equipment yeah, and how the everything. wines are made. That's definitely, but that's, those are his decisions. I can give my two cents, but sometimes he doesn't listen to my two cents. You know, that's just the way it is. But I can live with that. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to listen to that matters is money. Yeah, what about this, you know? Uh, because this business, ultimately, you do all this to make some money. Well, true. Yeah, and uh, that's Darn. a big one. <laughs> but, but Morgan, he will, we all get together, you know, for like the new vintages and taste the wines, see how, what we think, you know, what should be blended. So we're involved with yeah. that with him. Yeah. yeah. He comes every, every day to report. <laughs> so last question for you. Uh, what are you proudest of as you look back? What, what, are, we, what are we proudest of? Uh, well, hmm. What do I think? Yeah, what do you think? And then I'll let me keep thinking. <laughs> uh, I'm proud, proud that we actually did it. We, we had a dream. Yes. We had a dream, and it actually... It worked out. It I, has worked out. I'm not sure in the beginning I foresaw any of this. No. So I saw, foresaw it, we wouldn't have done it. It was, it was very difficult. But we had a dream, and we put our heads down like other people have done. Just, just like, keep we're going. going to do this. You have and a problem, you work it out. succeeded. This is actual. And we're in Monroe. Yeah. This is tough out here. This is not... Carlton. If we were in Carlton, it would be a different life for us, I think. And we know that. We almost moved to Carlton at one point. And um, so that's just the way it is. But um, we have done it. And, um, and I think we've created a business and make pretty good wines. That's all you can want. And the lifestyle. It's a great lifestyle. I'm sure anybody that, in the wine. All that wine you get to drink. <laughs> I'm sure anybody in the wine business would agree. It's a great, you know, you have your vineyard and um, meet interesting people and yeah. I think originally we lived in San Francisco. Ooh. We came here. <laughs> oh, that's true. And we like, came here. We even Eugene. We were mm -hmm. going. Oh man. This How are we going to live here? Portland with Sacramento with a mountain in the background. Yeah. And then we came out here and we went, well, we'll buy land out here. We'll never live No, I'll never live out here. And now we and live now, up here in the hills. I love it. And you know, what's the reverse? We <laughs> yeah. never leave. You know, no. so we're gonna, then we're going to scurry back behind our gate when this interview is over. But seriously, it is nice. You're older. Uh, your uh, needs aren't as great. You're not 
Yeah, we were talking about what we just did something yesterday. We went to the gym. It took a half an hour to drive to the gym. And I went, well, you know, we used to live in San Francisco. We lived up by um, uh, the Upper Haight area, and we worked in yeah. North Beach. That was an hour drive and never thought twice about it. It's just what I had to do to get to work every day yeah. was an hour. Now we're complaining about 30 minutes to go to the gym. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so it is nice. We yeah. do like it. Um, you know, it, um, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's too bad we couldn't have been uh, very successful when we were about 23 years old. You know what I mean? It takes you all, your whole life almost to get there. Actually, it does. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean. Just for about anything, really. We, we, I mean, unless you're, you know, you have a family that has lots of money and, yeah, yeah. you know, you are grown up into that yeah, situation, my, but. My parents, none, my, my, none of my family really drinks wine, and none of fam Claudia's no. family, if they mm -hmm. drink wine, it's like this much. You know, yeah. so it's not like you're in a family that really, even they understand or appreciate what you're doing, you know what I mean? So, you know, we see my parents and they go, how's it living out there in the weeds? You know, and we go, well, I know it's great. We love the weeds. You know? Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. That's fantastic. It's all the questions that I have for you. Is there okay. Anything okay. I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we need to cover here today? No. No. no it's I think we covered it well, <laughs> pretty much. Thank you so much. This is fantastic. I really appreciate your stories. Yeah. Okay. Your hospitality in this beautiful space. Thanks for sharing it with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll let you off the hook. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.